Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys and a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. Well, today, as we often do on our podcast, we're going to memorialize another famous actor who has passed away, who's at least dabbled in the horror genre. Just, what, a couple weeks ago, I guess, uh, Rutger Hauer passed away at the ripe old age of 75 from an unspecified illness. But, uh, yeah, he, he, he lived a good life, it seems like. Most people probably know him most famously from Blade Runner. Right. He played the villain uh, in Blade Runner and uh, did a fantastic job with that. He actually, he turned down the lead role in Das Boot in order to play this. So clearly he made a, a better choice there. Das Boot's a good movie, but I don't think it would have, I don't think anybody in there was quite rocketed to stardom as they were uh, from Blade Runner. So uh, Blade Runner is one of my favorite movies and he's fantastic in it. And you know, he's always had this look. He just, he played a lot of evil characters and he didn't want to get typecast. So at some point he really started um, turning down those roles and branching out. But gosh darn it, he makes a pretty good villain. He, he does. He kind of looks the part, right? He's, he's Dutch and especially in his younger years actually even into his older years he's a pretty good looking dude he's a handsome guy yeah yeah really cool very well respected but also apparently a pacifist i mean actors are actors but uh, a fun bit of trivia you know he he actually grew up in germany during the occupation and so he said that he was a pacifist uh and, and is and was very active in his life with these causes like uh aids awareness mm-hmm. uh, Greenpeace. A very noble thing. So anyway, we are memorializing his passing today by doing The Hitcher. Now, I don't know. I, you know, I, I, I remembered this movie a little differently than it turned out. The Hitcher was always seemed to be available in the horror section. And it always, in some way, was billed as a horror movie. And then when I watched it the first time, I was actually in college. My college roommates said, oh, man, have you never seen The Hitcher? You've got to watch this movie. And so we turned it on and we put it in. And I remembered certain scenes from this film. And I remembered it being really creepy and really scary, sort of sl- not slasher movie, but kind of killer hunter type slasher movie. But watching it again this time around, I don't know, Craig, would you consider this horror? Really? Uh, I don't know. You know, uh, when you suggested that we do it, I, I looked it up because I don't think I'd ever seen it. In, in fact, I'm pretty sure. IMDb lists it as a thriller. And I think that's fair. Uh, but... Yeah, I I think that I would consider it a horror movie. It's yeah. it's definitely scary, and he plays a really wicked villainous guy in this movie. Um, so I would consider it horror. In fact, uh, Entertainment Weekly ranked it at some point as the nineteenth scariest movie of all time. And really, yeah, I I, I don't know. I, I agree. I mean, to consider finding oneself in the position that. Uh, uh, C. Thomas Howell uh, finds himself in in this movie would certainly be nightmarish That's uh, true. and and scary. So yeah, I would consider it horror. It's maybe a little bit different from our usual fare, but it's a frightening movie. And and you're right, Rucker Hauer does make uh, a good villain, um, and I think that part of that. I don't know. He, like you said, he's a handsome guy. He 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 has these really strikingly beautiful, uh, in my opinion, piercing blue eyes. Oh yeah, for sure. He's a dapper fellow. Uh, he's a he's a good looking guy, but he just has this kind of menacing presence and. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, he scared me in this movie. Well, and the movie, I, as it was originally written, apparently, was even much more horrific. Uh, it got toned down quite a bit in the pre-production process. The writer of this film, Eric Red, who also, by the way, wrote Near Dark uh-huh. after this. And and this has a clear Near Dark vibe to it. Yep. But um, he was like 20 years old, uh, and he made a short film and was trying to get funding for it. Couldn't get funding for a bigger movie, so he ended up... I don't know, driving cross-country. And during that time, he came up with this idea for this movie about a killer hitchhiker. And so he wrote the script and shopped it around. It ended up in the producer's hands. And the the producers who eventually produced this movie just went back and forth on it. They just felt it was extremely brutal. It was extremely violent and very mean-spirited mm-hmm. in its original incarnation. They spent quite a bit of time in pre-production and then wrestling with the studio, even up until the, the time they started shooting, what kinds of things they would leave in and what things they would leave out. 
as it turns out, I would say the movie, even though it's scary and there's horrifying things that happen in here, it's certainly not as gory or as brutal as a lot of things we've seen. But it has this way of kind of getting under your skin a little bit just by not showing everything. I think it's yeah, it's a movie that does that well, don't you think? Yeah, I, I do, and I read those things too. In fact, you know, some some major studios like New Line and and some other studios turned the film down, and they had a difficult time getting studio backing from it, and eventually they did. It's hard to imagine a studio like New Line turning something like this down, isn't it? <laughs> I know, right? And, you know, from what I've read, ultimately, the filmmakers kind of had to pull their punches a little bit. You know, they they had some really gruesome and, and really dark things planned initially, and, and they had to pull back on that a little bit. You know, ultimately, I would say it, it doesn't make... A huge difference. I mean, you, you get the idea of exactly how brutal this guy is. You know, I, I also read that it's meant to kind of, in some ways, be an allegory, and and Rucker Hauer's character, John Ryder, is kind of just supposed to be like kind of this epitome of evil, like he's supposed to represent evil. Yeah. If I had one complaint about the movie, and really, you know, I was in, entertained and, and I enjoyed it, but and maybe this is intentional, I don't know, but the thing that kind of bothered me was I never really understood what this villain's motivation was yes like exactly mm-hmm. like why is he fucking oh excuse me <laughs> go ahead and, go ahead and bleep me out why is he messing with this one guy so much you know ultimately to his demise like i i i, I kind of didn't get that and, and maybe that's something that was kind of lost in translation after all of these changes they had to made I, i'm not sure it, it certainly is frightening and he he certainly is you know uh, a very real and and ominous threat but i i just kind of i just kind of didn't get it like yeah (laughs) why this guy and and he really really goes out of his way to mess with this guy yeah you know by the end of it you get this feeling that he basically had a death wish like he he expected to end i mean he gets it in the end all right he gets it in the end right it's not one of those movies where he gets away and it's super bleak i mean it turns out a little bleak but you get this feeling from the beginning i mean so so what happens is this guy this kid played by his name is uh is jim and he's played like you said by the 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 boy from et <laughs> the older brother. <laughs> one of the boys from E.T. The older he's not brother. The main kid. No, of course not. The older brother. No, not the older brother. He's one of his friends, I think, right? I don't Is know. He? C. Thomas Howell, yeah. Oh. C. Thomas Howell was uh really big in the eighties. Yeah. Uh and and he had, you know, this kind of I don't know, nice boy boy next door look about him. I mean, he's probably most famous from The Outsiders. Uh, he was the lead in that. But he was in lots and lots of movies and, and yeah. he, he's still working. Like a ton. He's never let yeah. up. It's it's insane, this guy. He's got, yeah. got like five or six different projects every year since he started. It's, it's not. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, y- you know, he's, he's this really kind of nice, sweet, boy next door kind of guy. And it's kind of funny to see him in this movie because I feel like they kind of try to... I don't know. In the beginning, like he's smoking cigarettes, <laughs> like, <laughs> like they kind of try to portray him as being kind of you know this rebel, you know, kind of a pretty boy road. way. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah. So in the very beginning, he's driving along and um, he keeps falling asleep uh, at the wheel, which in itself is nightmarish. I've actually done that. It's really scary. Yeah, me too. In order to you know try to keep himself awake he he sees this hitchhiker and he picks him up and it's Rucker Hauer and Rucker Hauer is very ominous and threatening kind of from the very beginning and like right away from the very beginning Rucker Hauer is basically like <laughs> what's so funny <laughs> that's where the other guy's at <laughs> who's the other guy the guy who was driving that car back there the guy who picked me up before you did was that him in the car <laughs> I'm sure it was could have walked very far. Why is that? Because I cut off his legs and his arms and his head. And I'm gonna do the same to you. It's a 
immediate. Like he like you know has a switchblade and like you know holds it up to him and stuff. And and C. Uh, Thomas Howell Jim somehow he realizes that the door ajar light is still on on the passenger side, so he kicks him out of the car, and one would think that that would kind of be the end of it, but no, (laughs) the hitchhiker then continues to, you know, follow and pursue and torment him for the next hour and 35 minutes. Yeah. It's so funny. (laughs) And that's what the whole movie is about. It just lays its its cards on the table, not even 10 minutes into the movie. And then the rest of it, you're thinking, how much longer can this stretch out? Like, it's actually, it gets a little improbable after a while. He's Oh, yeah. He's always there. It's supernatural. And it's like, not only is he always there, but it's like he's lying in wait. He knows that this kid is going to stop at this gas station so that as the kid gets out and explores the gas station, He's behind a truck inside the garage, ready to just burst out and surprise him. You know, I mean, it's one of those kind of deals. So that one aspect of the movie really. uh, All right. We've seen a lot of improbable stuff. I'm not against improbable movies. Right. right? It just makes it fun. But the improbability of it for so long, if you compare this against a movie like Duel, the Steven Spielberg movie, which this shares a lot of similarity with. The Steven Spielberg movie is much more probable, <laughs> you know, even though that villain is also a little more supernatural. So, something it's like an evil truck, right? Well, <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, it's like a, you never see the guy's face who's driving the truck. So it's it's skillful in that way that it, it does feel like the truck itself is evil or the guy in, in it is a little more supernatural. But somehow the situations in that just seem a little more realistic. And this, like I said, it's like, boom, I'm here. Boom, I'm there. Ah, you didn't think I'd be here, but I'm here too. You know, oh, and then I came in and I slashed up all the cops while you were in the jail cell, you know, and and, and you didn't hear it. And framed you for it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I know. Like, you know, and he keeps, oh my gosh, it's so funny. Like, I I kept, like, yelling at the screen, like, get off this road. Right. Like, (laughs) Like, (laughs) turn. (laughs) Like, (laughs) if you stay on the same highway the whole time, he's just going to keep messing with well you. to be fair when you're driving across like arizona and, and basically most of the western side of the united states there aren't many options <laughs> oh i know but then that was something else that i kept thinking too like uh i don't know like first he's supposedly what he's doing is like delivering a car like he's from chicago and and uh he wants to get to california and he's been waiting for an opportunity to like deliver a car to california just so he can move there get there uh which which is fine whatever but then once he picks the hitcher up and and this guy you know like he just keeps coming across things like um after he kicks the guy out the next thing he sees is like this station wagon with this all-american family in it with like the kids playing in the back and then the hitchhiker pops up in the back and is like you know teasing him like messing with the kids and stuff and eventually he finds that car and we don't see what he sees but you know apparently the whole family has been slaughtered and it makes him barf and stuff. But at some point, he ends up without his car, and he ends up, like, walking through the desert, and, like, it seems like every few blocks, he just finds some oasis yeah. in the middle of He's the desert. super lucky. Like, <laughs> there could be nothing for, like, uh, like, 100 miles, but when he needs to find something, when his car is crashed, he can just walk to a motel or, or a restaurant gas station or, or, or whatever. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a little improbable, but in that way, it almost... It, here, I'm going to go getting all meta. It, it almost feels like a dream oh i was just gonna say that yes yeah every every time you know he'll have an encounter with the hitchhiker and and the guy will be very menacing and like that's really all he does is like menaces him mostly and and that's like and he's killing all these other people along the way but then anytime they actually encounter each other like he just shows up like the kid will like stop at a, a restaurant or something and he'll just be sitting there and he closes his eyes and Rucker Howard just comes and sits down across the booth from him. <laughs> right. Just calmly like, hey, <laughs> I'm here again. <laughs> uh, I'm going to pop your eye out with my switchblade, but really 
calmly. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It's it, it's it's kind of bizarre. It does feel it feels very dreamlike. It, it wouldn't it be funny? I mean, this movie could have ended like like this kid was imagining this guy the whole time. Right. Or like, yeah, he was really the killer. And this guy was just, you know, something he was imposing upon the world to try to it was his alternate personality or something like that. But but it clearly doesn't end. that. I mean, I guess you might be able to look at it that way, but it clearly doesn't end that way. Well, there's a weird moment. All right. There are a lot of weird moments in this movie, but there's a weird moment in the middle. And I, let's just jump around. So That's Jennifer cool. Jason Lee is in this. She's pretty young. She's pretty good. Oh, my God. She's a baby. Yeah. She's so cute. <laughs> she is. And she plays a, a waitress at a diner. The only person, apparently, who works at this diner. Uh, who gets mm. dropped off at her diner every day by a bus. That's how remote this diner is that he also manages to stumble into. This is maybe the third time he's gotten away from this guy, and he's been looking for a phone that he can call, which is also quite quaint, um, looking for a phone that he can call from, and he finds it in this diner. So he manages to call the police, and they say, stay where you are. Uh, and then he strikes up a conversation with this woman who feels bad for him and makes him a cheeseburger, and they have their little talk and their little dialogue. As he's eating this cheeseburger and these fries, she wanders away and there's this kind of interesting scene where she goes in the back into the kitchen and she doesn't come out for a while but there are noises back there and it just slowly kind of dollies in on his face while he's absently eating this cheeseburger i liked this scene a lot because in the back of my head i'm thinking oh crap is that dude here too and is she getting it in the back and is this kid slowly starting to realize that might be what's happening? And is that what's going through his head? And then just when you need to, you suddenly realize he's holding a finger, uh-huh. a severed finger in his hand that has somehow in, made its way into the fries. And he bites the finger and he looks at it and he screams and he runs in the back. He's here. He's here, too. And at that moment, the police come. And as he runs out of the place, uh, the police hold up their guns and uh, tell him, you know, get down on the ground. Uh, and uh, they think that he's the killer. Now, right. this scene is kind of bizarre. I-, I liked it up to that point that there's just this tension here. Like, you know, this guy's popped up like four or five times. He's going to pop up here and you're just waiting for it to happen. But he doesn't tell this woman anything about really what's going on. He's really quiet about it, which doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. You would think that he'd be like, barricade the doors, you know, lock up everything. There's this killer on the loose and that's why I'm calling the cops. Then he kind of lets her go away. And I don't understand how a severed finger ended up in the fries. Well, I don't either. And there are so many moments like that, like... Okay, so there's that one where the severed finger just... I I guess the implication is that this guy is just always one step ahead of him and he's just messing with him, but it doesn't really make any kind of logical sense. I mean, the, the, the image of him picking up a severed finger and nearly popping it in his mouth. I mean that it's great. It it's a great image. It's it's really unsettling. Um but right, how did it get there? And then there's another point. I don't even remember how it happened. Like I think it was the first time that he got arrested and he was in jail and then like he he like took a nap in jail and had a nightmare about the hitchhiker and then he woke up and his cell was open and he like walks out into the jail and he just sees like this german shepherd police dog i guess that's just kind of like walking around or whatever (laughs) and then he turns a corner and the dog is there and as he continues around the corner he sees the dog like licking the slit throat of one of the cops and all the cops are dead. And then he runs away, but not before he grabs one of the cops guns. So then he has a gun and, but then he ends up in another restaurant or a bus stop or something. I don't Mm -hmm. remember. Rucker Howard shows up and sits right across from him. Jim has the gun pointed at him under the table. John, the bad guy says, the gun is empty. (laughs) Yeah. You never checked it, did you? So help me, I'll blow you in half. All right. Squeeze the trigger. I will. Oh, I will. Because you can sure as shit bet I'm going to squeeze mine. And we see that he doesn't even really have a gun. He just is like making a, you know, a finger gun under the 
under the table and he just goes like bang 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 and Jim freaks out and starts pulling the trigger and it's totally empty mm-hmm. and Rutger Hauer is like see I told you you didn't even check the gun and then he hands him a handkerchief and when Jim opens it up all the bullets are in there so we're supposed to believe that Rucker Hauer came into this police station, killed all the cops, <laughs> knew exactly what gun the kid would take, <laughs> emptied all the bullets out of it just to set up this scene for later. Yeah. Like, what? It's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it, yeah. And, and it also during this scene, this diner's got people in it. I, I mean, I think there were people in it. There's certainly somebody around serving him. But, you know, they can calmly have this conversation. It must have been 12 feet away from the guy behind the counter wiping things down. Clearly this intimidating sequence. And then he grabs his head and he pulls him towards him, which which the kid lets him do. (laughs) Uh And then he licks two coins and sticks them on his eyes. I don't know if that was supposed to be a reference to the, you know, the whole thing where you put coins over a dead body's eyes or, or whatnot. I guess, right. Crossing the River Charon or something. And it's just like, he just succumbs to this. Yeah, and then he sits there with his eyes closed with the pennies over Yeah, it. like, like, what? Like, like, <laughs> where was your... <laughs> you, you suddenly gave up now? You know, like, if there's any number of things you could do here. But anyway, and then at this point, I think he gets back, he gets on the bus. He hangs out there for a while after Rutger Hauer's character leaves, who's, by the way, his name is is Jim Ryder, which I thought was hilarious. John Ryder. John Ryder, yeah, Mm -hmm. which I thought was hilarious. Uh, And then uh, he ends up getting on a bus that pulls in, and who happens to be on this bus but that woman from earlier from the diner. Right. And he pulls her away. Well, he waits for her to go to the bathroom, and then he jumps in the bathroom with her in the back of this small bus and holds the gun to her head and is like, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. You believe me, don't you? <laughs> She's like, uh, I guess. <laughs> and uh, asks for her help. Okay, I guess it could happen. But it, well, it's all very and, contrived, and, you know? It just all felt a little too contrived. It is. And, you know, I, I feel like we're being a little bit over-analytical. Maybe, it's just a movie. Who cares? But, you, know, but you know, whatever. It matters when you're watching it because it kind of takes you out of it. At least me, it takes me out of it a little bit if it's too much like it. It, it did. And especially, like, in that restaurant scene that we just described, Jim even says to him, why are you doing this to me? And the guy's like, oh, you can figure it out or something like that. Like, what? No, I can't figure right. it out. Like, why no. are you messing with this? I, I don't. I don't know. I don't get it. It's also intricately planned, I guess, or just conveniently, it it makes it look like Jim is going on this killing spree, killing drivers and and tons of cops. Like there are so many yeah. dead cops. <laughs> so in this many movie. dead cops. <laughs> Those cops are really ineffective and don't help each other out too well, apparently. <laughs> no, I know. And, and uh, God, I don't know. And, and like, you know, he met this chick once in a restaurant and, you know, then the cops came to arrest him and he was gone. And then he bumped into her again on the bus. And it, he's like, it's not me. I swear you have to believe me. And she's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> <I guess. laughs> and then the, then the, like the cops uh, pull over the bus and he's all ready to surrender. Like he does this several times. Like mm. he tries to give himself up several times at this point, apparently Nash, the waitress also, had a huge revolver yeah on her. that was surprising um <laughs> what like a giant cop gun like, like a 45 where it's, did that come it's from it's massive yes <laughs> <laughs> i think this everybody must have them out here you know it's just maybe that's i just, guess like i don't know if you live in the california desert you better be packing i guess wild american west <laughs> still lives on right and it's like you know at this point like the dirty I, I guess they're not even dirty cops. Like, they just believe, because, like, s- there's been a whole slew of dead cops along the way. And so uh, this this cop is like, you killed my friend. Mm-hmm. I'm going to shoot you. And, and Nash pops out. She's like, I saw what you were going to do. Earl <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. Because <laughs> she knows them. <laughs> yeah, she knows them. And and so then they run off together. And then there's uh, Nash and, and uh, Jim. 
Jim run off together in a cop car. Yeah. Like, they steal the cop car. <laughs> That's so crazy. And then there's a huge chase where, like, first the cop cars are shooting them, and then, you know, fortunately, the hitchhiker just runs up parallel to them in his truck and takes out the cops. Shoots the two cops straight through the window, which was a shocking scene. Yeah. Yeah. But he's there all like, of a sudden. How? <laughs> like, he's always just right there. And and then, like, a helicopter comes, and he shoots down the helicopter. <laughs> he shoots the helicopter down. I was... My head was between my knees at this point. I just couldn't take that anymore. <laughs> he aims his handgun at the helicopter. Bang, bang. And this helicopter suddenly spins out of control. <laughs> and he's just so nonchalant about it. Like, he has no expression on his face. Like, he's just totally deadpan. Like, bang, bang. I shot down the helicopter. And, oh, man. Yeah, it, I don't even know. Well, it does kind of make you wonder if the movie's just meant to be just, you know, a dream. Or, or just some unreal thing well the score and th- this is uh, another reason why it reminded me of near dark of course there's the setting it's kind of a road movie near dark was kind of a road movie it's set in the 80s yeah and it's very similar setting and 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 feel to it but the score in this movie is very similar to near dark's score it's this very ethereal 80s ish uh, Never Ending Story had a score like this. Uh, it's the sort of thing that Tangerine Dream used to do, but it's yeah, right. not not in this movie anyway. But uh, it also lent a very dreamlike quality to it. And also the fact that um, this isn't like this sort of thrill ride. Every second there's some exciting thing going on kind of action movie. There are long stretches of quiet and of contemplation and of just sitting and thinking and looking and staring and doing and driving and whatnot that again near dark was very similar in this way there'd be extreme graphic brutal crazy violence and then these long scenes of just character talking Mm -hmm. and stuff Mm -hmm. except in this movie there aren't many characters you know you're not getting to know a gang full of people you're getting this one kid who's just in a situation and this guy who seems like a superman and then a bunch of cops who come and go, and this girl who kind of pops in who barely knows him. We don't really get to know a lot about her. No, not really. So it's it's very it's much more plot driven than it is character driven, and so I don't feel like it really earns its pace. And for me, it dragged a little bit because of it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I wasn't bored. It, it, you know, it's it's an hour and thirty seven minutes long. It, you know, it's not that long, and the action keeps up, but it's it's all the same. I, I mean, it's, yeah, it's just this mm-hmm. guy, you know, stalking this this kid, and 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 that's not to say that it's boring, and that's not to say that it's not fair to say it's all the same it's not because there are different set pieces and like these when when i say you know like these car chases and the helicopter and stuff like these are major action scenes yeah you know like yes and and this this really isn't you know for the type of movie this is it's not low budget i think no. i think that it it filmed on like a six million dollar budget or something and, and it shows i mean things are blowing up all over the place and major car crashes and gas stations are exploding and mm-hmm. there's big time stuff going on but as much as you say it's plot driven it is but the plot is so simple yeah i mean it's just this guy tormenting this kid and that's it that's the the whole movie and the whole movie and every scene kind of ends the same the cops are Mm -hmm. whatever other outside threat like okay the cops are also after him but they're dead at the end of every scene that they're in, yeah. the cops end up getting killed, and this guy and ends then up they drive away. up, and then they drive away, yeah, and then, and this whole bit where they are in a shootout with the cops, like, they're really getting themselves in some serious hot water here, like, I know. their judgment is way off, but it, again, it just feels like, come on, <laughs> he was about to give himself up, and now he's driving down the road shooting at the cops, <laughs> I don't, I don't, and she's well, doing and, it too? <laughs> <laughs> she's oh, like, and, and like, no, I won't shoot. Well, at the and that's cops. that's the thing too. And then she's like, oh, I, oh, okay. She just met him, you know. <laughs> like she doesn't even know him. Like they don't have any connection at all. Yeah. But all of a sudden, she's like, you know, pointing guns at cops to like stick up for this guy that she doesn't even know. Why should she believe him? 
Right. <laughs> you know, she doesn't have any reason to believe him. See Thomas Howell. He'll certainly never listen to this podcast. So I feel pretty safe in saying he's kind of a little bitch. You know, like, see <laughs> Thomas Howell. I- I'm sure he's a lovely fellow. But, um, you know, he's not like some tough 80s protagonist guy. You know, he he's kind of wimpy, really. Yeah. And he-, he cries a lot. And, like, he's calling the cops, like, I just want to turn myself in (laughs) it wasn't me it was the hitchhiker (laughs) and like every time he does that they'll be like okay and then the hitchhiker will show up and blow the cops away and so he's in trouble and has to keep running i don't know yeah. <laughs> it's it's kind of silly overall. It really is. I, I think the 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 part that um surprised me the most was uh when he's with Nash, they they end up after this huge chase and huge shootout with helicopters and cars exploding. They end up at a motel. And I don't know how because they don't have any money, but yeah. they get a room and she wants to call her dad and he says, no, you can't. I, I don't really know why, but he goes to take a shower and she secretly calls her dad. And I guess the dad tips off the cops. I don't know because they show up eventually. But while he's showering, she's laying in bed. And of course, Rutger Hauer is there, yeah. you know, just in the room like a vampire <laughs> just, just suddenly right. he's there and this is interesting they very clearly did not have sex because when they wake up all their clothes are still on or when he you right know, whatever and it's it's not a scene obviously and he's in the shower and then rutger Hauer's character it's like there's a flash of lightning and he's standing over her and then mm-hmm. there's a like another flash of lightning and he's like laying in bed next to her spooning her spooning her basically and he's kind of running his hands over her and whatnot which is really creepy Uh, and then of course the kid comes out and they're gone and the door is open and he realizes she's gone for some reason and presumably because this guy took her right and then i can't remember the cops show up at that point and then they take him to a truck stop which must have been next door or maybe this was in the parking lot yeah i think it's all one like i think it's like a truck stop motel kind of deal but yeah he runs outside and the cops are there and it's like all of a sudden they believe him and they know that, you know, the hitch... It's it's so weird because basically this hitchhiker guy has set himself up to be caught in this moment. Like, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. None of this does. I mean, it's, it's a really interesting setup for a scene because like the the kid thinks you know as they have for the whole movie that the cops are going to think it's him they're going to arrest him and the cops are like oh no no we know it wasn't you but we need your help (laughs) and then totally unrealistically they send him into this scenario and what has happened is Rucker Hauer has apparently I guess disengaged the cab from the bed of a semi-truck, and he has uh, chained up Nash between the cab and the bed, and she's, like, suspended between the two, and and it's like he's just sitting there with his foot on the brake. Like, if he takes his foot off the brake, I guess it's in drive, it's going to pull forward, the and clutch, she's going to yeah. get... Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's going to get ripped in half or whatever. So they send Jim in. They're like, oh, you need to go in there and talk him down. Like, what? Like, why would they? (laughs) It doesn't even make any sense. Well, uh, yeah, this scenario, it's a cool set piece. And this is one of the the few things I remember from this movie as being so horrifying. But I also thought the movie ended here. In my memory, the movie ended here somehow. But no, it's got another half hour to go. Yeah. Uh, but he's, he goes into the cab, he sits in there, and he has this quick little dialogue with him. But basically, Rutger Hauer's character is like, pick up the gun, it's on the floorboard. Tell you what, I'll let you hold the gun on me before I do anything. They'll catch you. Yeah. Sure. So what? Once again, well, and all of a sudden, and all of a sudden, it seems like this villainous guy is like some like depressed, like like what, like he's depressed. Like yeah, he I, gives that off, doesn't I, he? I don't yeah, like, get it. Oh, yeah, man, so like, much oh. killing is just uh, 
Uh, it's really it? taking it out of me. <laughs> I just anymore? can't go on. <laughs> just one more, and then you can just shoot me. But he set up a terrible, an unwinnable scenario. If he shoots him in the head, his foot's going to come off the clutch, and their girl's going to get ripped in half. What he doesn't do is shoot him in the head, and so he just looks at him like, oh, I'm so disappointed in you. You know, you don't have what it takes after all. And... He lets his foot off the clutch, and the girl gets ripped in half. Uh, that, and this, this was the only thing. Now, I, I read that it was, you know, studio or whoever that that decided that they couldn't go there. Like, they couldn't show it. But that felt so cheap to me. Yeah. Because you just see him take his foot off the clutch, and then you see her kind of scream, and you kind of see the tension tighten, you know, kind of in the chains around her wrist. But then it just cuts to black. Yes. It opens back up. I don't know. Where is he? Like The kid's like in a hospital or police station or something. Yeah, they, they, they totally pulled their punch on this one. Like, show rip that girl in half. Like, if you're going to raise the stakes this high, and for me, I don't know, for some reason that set piece seemed really familiar. I don't know if I've read about this or I've just seen the scene or, mm. or what, but, you know, her... You know, being stretched out between, you know, these these two things and, and the threat of her being torn in half. I don't know if it's been copied in another movie or, or what, but that was so familiar to me. But it really surprised me that there wasn't, like, a deus ex machina. Like, mm. like somehow, at the last minute, she would be saved. I, I didn't expect her to get killed and she does yes but the fact that they cut to black and don't show it and then you're just like you have to realize oh he did it and she's dead <sighs> yeah that made me mad it's not <laughs> it doesn't really do justice to her character i mean it just makes her even more of a throwaway character in a way it's funny the guy that's interrogating i think rucker hauer or uh, yeah i think he's talking to rucker hauer and, and of course he's not giving them he he has no driver's license and he has no criminal record oh, I know. he's and like, the man from nowhere i know he's you know he's this big enigma and they can't figure it out um but the guy who's interrogating him is this little snivelly guy and i recognize him i don't know what his name is i didn't write it down but he played evil principal snyder on buffy the vampire slayer the series oh. which ironically rucker hauer was the main villain in the original buffy the vampire slayer movie with christy swanson mm. uh, which i used to watch all the time when i was a kid <laughs> little trivia there for you but anyway <laughs> we'll put that on your imdb page craig <laughs> right uh so so the cops have him but he's not talking and i don't know there's some weird thing where like jim i don't they're, they wouldn't put these guys together. It doesn't make any sense. No. But for some reason, like, they do. you know, they, they take Jim into the interrogation room and, like, he shakes his hand, but then immediately spits in his face. Like, what is this? Like, I, what kind of drama are you trying to build <laughs> no, here? I don't... And, then, and then the cop pulls him away. Well, this was a mistake. Well, yeah, of course it was a mistake. You guys are idiots. Yeah, you dummy. <laughs> <laughs> but But Jim very ominously says... You'll never hold him. They're transporting him in what, like a bus or, or something? God, I don't even know. Like transporting the bad guy. Yeah. Jim is, you know, with one of the other cops, and he he grabs the cop's gun and points it at him and kicks the cop out like he's going all vigilante and he's going to go find this guy and take care of him. I mean, I guess that's basically what happens. Like, um, we see lots of shots of. Rucker Howard just sitting very calmly in the bus, like looking at things. Like, mm -hmm. oh, look, I see the cop's gun, and oh, I'm watching them play cards. And, like, <laughs> and, and, and then, you know, ju conveniently, just as Jim pulls up on this transport bus or whatever it is, Rucker Howard, you know, gets the shotgun away from the cops and blows the cops away. And then he, like, kicks the, the back door of the transport bus open and Jim is right behind him and the police 
car and Rooker Hauer dives out of the back of the bus through the windshield (laughs) of the car. Oh, it's amazing. It's It's such a cool scene. It's ridiculous. And the, uh, the windshield shatters like it's, you know, just like a regular window, like cars don't have safety glass or whatever. Mm -hmm. Oh God. But it, it's fantastic. I mean, just it's, it's a great <laughs> by bit. merits of being a really cool scene, like him diving out of the back of this bus and diving through the windshield. Uh, and, and I read that, you know, Rucker Hauer, like, busted one of his own teeth out doing this. He did a lot of his own stunts. He yeah. did uh, a lot of the stunt driving, and people were super impressed. You know, even the stunt guys were super impressed at his uh, abilities in that capacity. And um, But, again, what is the end game here? Like, yeah. he dives in there and... and well, I don't know. Like it, then he's all bloody and they kind of fight or something. That's kind of how it goes. Like everybody else is suddenly out of the picture, and it's just these two. And there's a truck, the truck that that they've had that the the Jim Rucker Howard's character has been driving uh, that he took from somebody earlier in the in the film. And uh, there's kind of a bit of a standoff out in the middle of nowhere between them and. Jim, who's the kid, gets inside the truck, but he's a little incapacitated. He's down, and Rutger Hauer's facing him with his shotgun, shooting at the truck, slowly walking towards it. It's like this sort of high noon standoff type thing. But then he manages to hit the the gas and drives right into him, which would have killed him. Right. (laughs) Would have killed him. He flies back like 20 feet, uh, but then... right gets up. Well, at at first I thought thought he was dead because, like, they, they show this... Like he's laying there on the ground and you can kind of see him breathing and then it seems like he stops breathing. So Mm. I thought that he was dead. Jim walks up to him and like looks down over him and I feel like he even maybe points the shotgun at him or like pokes him in the head with the shotgun to see if he's dead. Yeah. And it seems like he's dead. And, And I read that they originally planned on ending the movie with Jim shooting him, like, in the head while he was down on the ground. Mm. But I guess they thought that was too brutal. Like, I guess it's too brutal to shoot a man when he's down or something. So uh, Jim turns his back and lets him stand John, <laughs> yeah, John jumps up like he's some kind of freaking superhero, like he's fine. And, and Jim turns around and shoots him three times point blank with a shotgun through the torso yeah so you're like dude's dead it, yeah, <laughs> it quite literally ends there like the guy falls down jim turns around and leans forward on the on the hood of the truck as the and credits smokes a start cigarette because he's a badass yeah <laughs> just kind of, suddenly from from total wiener through the whole movie he's a badass for the last two minutes you know it's problematic i i I think it's it's it comes across as a little over dramatic. Again, I don't feel like the movie really earned this moment because it's trying to build up something I think between these two characters that never really sinks in because we never well we're flat out told that the bad guy doesn't have any motivation, really. He's some dude from nowhere mm-hmm. who apparently just likes killing people who for mm-hmm. no real good reason has latched onto this kid and decides that in the while he's killing all these people, he's going to kind of make this kid his project. Yet at the end of the day, he's really setting him himself up to die anyway at the end. Like yeah. he's like he, he just kind of gives up and or it seems like he does. I don't know. I think it's, it's weird. It's been suggested, I think, by people that this movie has some homoerotic overtones in it. I could kind of oh, see Oh, I can that. see it. I mean, yeah. it's there, but I'm not sure I'm going to give the writer enough credit to say that that, no. you know, uh, there's, there are moments. Of course, when he first gets into the car and he's, they're staring, he's staring at him and it makes him uncomfortable and he says some words, well, why are you looking at me like that? And he's just, I, I like looking at you or something like that. Yeah. There's even a gag, you know, like... Um, oh, yeah. They pull up to, like, a traffic stop or... I, I don't know. Like, there's been an accident or something. I don't even remember what it was. But they, they pull up and some cop stops them. And Rucker Hauer, I think, is, like, pushing his gun into Jim's side. But it looks like he's getting fresh with them. Mm-hmm. And so the cop calls them lovebirds or yeah. something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I can see it. 
and I don't know. I mean, there is Rucker Hauer, and, and and I think that you know this is just kind of typical of him. He has an intensity mm. about him that is almost seductive. Right. I mean, he he has those piercing eyes, and he's just so smooth and cool with that smile and that grin. Uh-huh. Kind of very evil. Very 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 over the top, smooth, creepy, evil. And 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 again, like. <laughs> I feel so bad saying it because it's mean, but <laughs> but see uh, Michael Hall, you know, or see Thomas Howell. Who am I talking about? See Michael Hall. That's the guy from like Breakfast Club. See um, Thomas Howell. He's kind of got an effeminate yeah thing about he him. He does. He does. You know, and and so I I can see it. No, I don't think it was intentional. I don't think that's intentional subtext, but I could see how people could You can read it into the movie a lot. Yeah. The the gun right. scenes under the under the table, the the kid and and the girl don't don't, you know, very clearly don't have sex or whatever in their relationship right, just right. As, you know, whatever. I don't know. Again, I like you said, like I said, I just don't think that that was probable. If it was the writer's original intent, uh, it's very poorly written. Uh, it just, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, I think at the end of the day, for me, I rem- I had fonder memories of this movie than I kind of had after watching it the second time so many years later. It's not a bad movie. No, it, it just has these sort of core problems that made it really hard for me to recommend it as, oh my gosh, like that movie had an impact on me. At the end of the day, it was an interesting plot. Some stuff happened. It was exciting. It had good action scenes. Yeah. Um, It was scary, you know, in very good moments, especially if you can put yourself in the place of this guy and you could imagine this kind of thing happening to you. But... Uh, the thematic core that kind of like settles and sits with you after long after a movie is over that these movies can can often have that that's the thing that kind of grips and grabs and I just didn't feel like it was there so it's not a movie that I'm going to sit and think about long afterwards you know so I know I, I and <laughs> I no I actually liked it this was the first time I had seen it or at least that I remember so if I have seen it, it was when I was a kid and I don't even remember but I liked it. I I was entertained by it. It, But it was just, I was bothered the whole time. Why is he doing this? And how is he doing this? Like, (laughs) how is he always there? How is he Mm. always one step ahead? Like, I just don't get it. And, and And I kind of kept expecting the movie to tell me at some point mm. like there was going to be some sort of connection like maybe Rucker Hauer is his dad or you know like <laughs> I don't know something that would connect these guys other than just oh you happen to be the one rando guy who got away from me so now I'm going to torment you forever mm-hmm. until I eventually give up and and allow myself to get captured and that's the other thing too like he's so enigmatic like the police don't even believe he exists for the whole movie and then he basically just throws himself under the bus like yeah it's it's me (laughs) like uh (laughs) here i am now i'm depressed and i'm like suicidal in a truck like well that i don't know that should have been like a real pivotal scene that should have been like a, a like that scene should have meant something you know, here he is. He set himself in the situation where he's finally surrounded by cops. He's giving himself up there. There should have been something more meaningful about it, like something about killing this girl was a thing, you know, or this confrontation, this moment with him in the truck was kind of a do or die kind of somehow revealing something about him or his character or his motivations or you know, just a special turn in the movie. And it really wasn't. It's just another thing he did. And now he's captured. So right, yeah. Well, and and I also kind of feel like he shouldn't have died at the end. Like he mm. he was so s- seemingly superhuman, really, throughout the whole rest of the movie. It just it, it felt a little bit cheap that you know just got blasted point blank by yeah, just, just right, and then he's dead. Yeah, I don't know. They made a sequel. <laughs> uh, C. Thomas Howell was even in it. Um, and, and, I, and I've never seen it and I don't really know anything about it. I just read the synopsis and it says uh, he plays the same character. Uh, he plays Jim Halsey in the sequel. The sequel came out in 2003. Oh God, it happens to him again? <laughs> yes! Like, 
he and his fiance are like traveling cross country and they pick up a hitchhiker. Why? Why? Like, <laughs> and it's Jake Busey, which is hilarious. Oh, um, but seriously, like <laughs> in the eighties, you were terrorized by a hitchhiker for an hour and 37 minutes. And then you're going to pick up another one later. Well, like it doesn't even make any sense. Yeah. And, and they, they also remade it. And I have seen the remake, and it wasn't particularly memorable either. Like, I can't remember. I, I think what I do remember about it is that um, the guy and the girl were more of a team. Mm. Like, it was, they were together a lot. and um, But it, it followed basically the, the same premise, as I remember. It's been a long time since I've seen it. And, you know, I just happened to catch it on TV or something, and, and I sat and watched it. I mean, it, it, it had to have been all right. But wow. I don't know. Yeah, I don't... I, it's you're right like it's kind of an oddity i don't really know what to say about it i don't know that i would necessarily recommend it i i I enjoyed it and 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 i rucker hauer is is very scary um he wasn't even originally cast sam elliott was cast in that role first and apparently like he just blew everybody away with his audition and they were just absolutely thrilled to have him but then there was a scheduling conflict and and rucker hauer was second or even third choice i think Mm. but i I do think that he's very good in it um he is very sinister he's one of those few people actors who is sinister almost because they are charming and and charismatic mm. yeah and he's played uh rucker hauer has played vampires he he played uh like i said he was in buffy the vampire slayer which was goofy and he he totally was hamming it up in that movie but it's fun um but he also uh played dracula was it it was it a dario argento dracula i don't know it was dracula 3d yeah, yeah i don't yeah i don't know and, and I didn't see it. Well, he was in Dracula 3 Legacy in 2005. He actually played Van Helsing in Dracula 3D. I'm sorry. Gotcha. But but he does have kind of that yeah. that vampire type thing where like it's sexy sinister. <laughs> well, uh, and I and I mean that as a compliment. I think that he's a was you know I I think he lived a long and full life and had a very successful career and and so it's sad that he's gone but you know he certainly leaves uh, a legacy but um, he was a cool guy and and he's very charismatic on screen Uh, and and he's good he does a good job in this movie Uh, it may not be the greatest movie it may be a little bit nonsensical in fact but um, he plays that sinister quiet villain quite well well it's interesting you mentioned the vampire thing because apparently according to an interview that ann rice gave he was her original vision for lestat when she was writing the book ah crazy yeah totally so yes i agree with you um go out and check out some of his other movies especially if you haven't seen like blade runner whatever he has still has like five projects that he's filmed that are still in post-production so you'll be seeing him in a few more movies, even posthumously here. He's been on a couple television series lately, acting up to the very end. So um, really a go-getter, very well-respected by pretty much everybody. Um, It seemed just like a high-quality person, even though he could play that sinister, sweet villain role so well. Yeah, he was charitable. You know, he worked for all kinds of, of, you know, very noble causes. He, He was a cool guy. Yeah. Well, thank you again for listening to another episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with a friend. You can find us on Facebook. Just search Two Guys uh, and a Chainsaw. Or you can find our website. It's twoguys.red40net.com. Just leave us a comment on either of those places. Tell us what you thought of this show. And also any requests that you might have. We have a short pile of them uh, coming up. And so I think uh, before long we'll be doing a few, maybe a month more of requests coming up. So get those in. Until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With two guys and a chainsaw.